Good evening. Welcome tonight. Hey, I've got two slides I was going to show last Sunday night, but I forgot. Check this out. I love that. And then here's another one. <laughs> I think those are hilarious, and I wanted to share those with you. So anyway, we're here to study Exodus. So let's open our Bibles. We've been studying uh, verse by verse, chapter by chapter through this book. We went all the way through Genesis, took about two, almost two years, and now we're in Exodus. And we're learning about how God's people who were brought down because of a famine into Egypt uh, through uh, uh, Israel or, or um, you know, we have Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. His name was changed to Israel. His sons were brought down into Egypt. 400 years have elapsed between Genesis and Exodus, and now God is going to get his people, his chosen people, his covenant people, out of Exodus, or out of Egypt, pardon me, and that's what the title is all about, but we're learning how God is going to do this. That's the wonderful part about studying the Bible. We have this history recorded for us, so we're in chapter 8 of of, uh, Exodus, and we've been looking back in chapter 7 and now in chapter 8 at these devastating plagues. Remember, the Hebrew word for plague means strike. So God is striking with, with severity. He's striking with severity. And we're going to look at three plagues tonight. Hoy vey, they're, they're, they're very. This is talking about God striking out against uh, a Pharaoh and the gods of Egypt. But uh, there, there are those that say, you know, these liberal theologians that say, you know, it's just, it, just, it rained really hard and, and uh, the river Nile flooded and, and it turned into blood because all the clay ran off the mountains, so it turned red. And, but that's not what the Bible says. I don't believe that at all. Um, one of the reasons I don't believe that is because they started when Moses prayed and obeyed God and held his staff up and they ended when Moses praised them away. And you're going to see that again tonight. So they're very miraculous. This is God challenging the many, many gods because Egypt is a polytheistic uh, country. And so God is, is challenging their gods with all these, these miraculous plagues that we're looking at. So the first one was the Nile turned into blood. Again, God is proving he has power over Pharaoh and the Egyptian god or, Sir, or Osiris, Osiris, you can study him, you can look him up, you can Google him. He's the god of Egypt, but a god of the Nile. And the people in Egypt worshipped the god of the Nile. In fact, we're going to find out how Pharaoh, every time he goes to the water in the morning, that's where Moses meets him. Why? Why is he there? He's not there to bathe. Pharaohs didn't bathe in the water. He was there to worship his god. And while he's there worshiping his god every morning, Moses shows up. <laughs> and he challenges him as God. And so we'll see that again as well tonight. But tonight we're going to look at the plagues again. We're going to look at three plagues. In chapter 8, we start with frogs. Frogs. I don't know if you like frogs or not, but that's what we're going to look at tonight. I've entitled the study, The Plagues and Finger of God. That's what we're going to be looking at. We'll begin in chapter 8, verse 1. In a moment, let's ask God's blessing and a word of prayer. Father, as we open your word now, We believe it's truth. We interpret, I interpret it literally. And I pray, Lord, as we read it, that you would help us to make application for our lives as well. That we're not just here to learn history, but 
but uh, how this history proves a, a covenant keeping and making God. How this, this history shows us that you love your people and there's nothing that can stand in your way. You are absolutely sovereign. And so, Lord, teach us from this story that we might build our faith and be strengthened because of it. In Jesus we pray. Amen. Let's look at this plague of frogs beginning in verse 1 of chapter 8. And the Lord spoke to Moses, go to Pharaoh, say to him, thus says the Lord or Yahweh, let my people go that they may serve me. But if you refuse to let them go, I will smite, remember the plagues, it's a strike, I'll smite all your territory with frogs. So the river shall bring forth frogs abundantly which shall go up and come into your house, into your bedroom, on your bed, into the houses of your servants, on your people, into your ovens, and into your kneading bowls. Every bit of your food supplies in your kitchen, you're going to open your box of Cheerios, and out comes a frog. And the frog shall come, notice verse 4, on you, on your people, and on all your servants. So they're going to be in their food everywhere, and they're going to be on people. How many like frogs on them? Any? No. L ladies are going, ah, I don't like these slimy, wart-producing frogs. I mean, think that way when you're reading this here. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, say to Aaron, stretch out your hand with your rod over the streams, over the rivers, over the ponds, and cause frogs to come up on the land of Egypt. So Aaron obediently stretched out his hand, verse 6, over the waters of Egypt. And the frogs came up and covered the land of Egypt. And then these magicians, these guys try to do, these guys are really interesting. Pharaoh's magicians here, notice, did so with their enchantments. They made more frogs, like they needed more of them, right? And they brought up frogs on the land of Egypt. Now, again, in verse 1, we're going to see this phrase repeated over and over again because we're supposed to get something. Whenever you see something in the Scriptures repeated, there's, a, there's something for you to learn. Notice in verse 1 this phrase. God says, he orders, he commands Pharaoh to let my people go that they may serve me. Now that word serve there can be serve him or worship him. The problem is God's people are in Egypt. And Egypt are idolators. They worship everything, animals, lots of animals, as we're going to see, frogs being one of them. And so God is going to, he wants his people out of that country, Egypt, so they'll worship him as God alone. God will never allow another God in front of him. God's a jealous God, the scriptures say. And so the, his people are, they're captive in Egypt, and there's all this idolatry going around. And so God says to Pharaoh, let my people go that they may serve me. You're going to see that over and over. Even tonight, you'll see it a couple more times. But God's demand to Pharaoh throughout the plagues is, let my people go so they can come and serve me. Come out of this idolatrous place. I want my people. I want them to worship and serve me. Again, the first time you saw it was all the way back in chapter 4, verse 23. Chapter 5, verse 1, chapter 7, verse 16, and now here in chapter 8, verse 1. Let my people go so they might serve me. We're going to see it again at the end of the chapter in verse 20. We'll see it again tonight. But God is claiming these people. These are my people. They're not yours, Pharaoh. These are my people, and I want to deliver my people. I have a purpose, 
and a job for my people. Remember the seed of the woman in Genesis chapter 3. The seed of the woman. We're going to see Jesus Christ, the Messiah, come through this family, through the, the sons of Jacob, whose name was changed to Israel, the children of Israel. They're these two million people, they come from this one man. Remember God's covenant, his promise. Abraham, I'm going to make your family as, as innumerable as the stars in the heaven or the dust on the earth. And so that was his promise. And now there's two million people in Egypt. And they're, they're God's people. He's claiming them. He wants to bring them back. But they've been under bond, in bondage there in Egypt. And remember the promise, I'll curse those who curse you. I'll bless those who bless you. So now his people are in Egypt, and what's going on there? They're getting cursed by Pharaoh. So guess what happens? God's going to curse him. That promise, I believe, is still in effect today. I don't believe that promise is eradicated. That's why I think it's important for America to always support Israel. It's important for you as Christians to, to vote for people that are going to go to Washington and support Israel. Why? Because the Scripture makes it very clear. Those people that haven't, nations that have not supported Israel, they're, they're in all kinds of trouble. And you can look at a historical pattern as well. But tonight here in verse 2, notice, my first point, God warns Pharaoh, if you refuse to let them go, verse 2, I'm going to smite all your territory, not just your palace, not just your capital, but the whole land, the whole territory with frogs, so the river shall bring forth frogs abundantly. They're going to go and come into your house, your bedroom, your bed, your houses of your servants, on your people, into your ovens, and into your kneading bowls. Very interesting plague, by the way. Each one of these plagues is against a specific god because the Egyptians had a pantheon of gods and goddesses. This happens to be a, a goddess. But again, God is answering Pharaoh's question. And the question was, when Moses first came to Pharaoh, the Lord, Yahweh, says, let my people go. And remember what Pharaoh was like, what? I'm the most important person. I am a god here in Egypt. Who are you talking to? I don't know your God. Who is it? Here's the scripture right here behind me. It's Exodus 5, verse 2. He says, who is the Lord that I should obey his voice and let Israel go? I'm not going to let him go. I'm God. These are my people. I don't recognize your God. That's what he was saying. So through all of these things, God is speaking directly to Pharaoh. I'm God. Let my people go. And each one of these plagues strikes against uh, Egypt and against him, he's going to slowly, slowly get it. And each night we'll see a change uh, in his mind. His heart is still hard. His heart's hard through these plagues. But, but he's starting to realize that he doesn't have as much power as this God. Now, the frog plague was a strike against the Egyptian goddess Hecate. And let me show you a picture. This comes off the side of one of these old... Let me show you a picture. There it is. Now, notice the face on that god there on your right. See the face? See how it resembles a frog? You can actually find Hecate. You can Google that if you want. And you'll find this frog goddess. Again, these people worshipped these different idols. They had Osiris, the god of the Nile. They have this goddess frog. Doesn't that make sense? They have a goddess. It's a frog. And they, had, they worshipped the frog. 
And this is just one of the many things off the Egyptian. Today, you can see this is from the British Museum. I, I'm not sure that I saw that. I've been in the British Museum seen things like this. When you go in there and you see things that are 4,000 years old, it's pretty impressive, pretty awesome. But, but this is um, this god, or goddess Hecate. She's a woman with a frog's head, and she's the goddess of fertility and midwives, supposedly from her nostrils came this breath of life, you know, that, and so the women would go and pray and offer this frog goddess, you know, things, and then they would get pregnant. That was their belief. They, they were idolaters. So this is the interesting thing about frogs, though. Because they worship uh, Hecate there, any frog that was in their land was sacred, in other words, you don't step on, it's like a turtle out in the Mojave Desert. You don't step on them, you don't touch them, you don't mess with them. They're sacred. They're not to be killed. Okay? So think about that. Now their nation is inundated, but they can't kill them. It's insane. These people were worshiping and they had these sacred frogs. They don't kill them, they worship them. So frogs were obviously all around the Nile River, right? Whenever you see river. I, when I was a little kid living here in San Bernardino up, up behind uh, Wildwood Park, we'd go to the park, my family would, and I used to climb over the hill. There wasn't a fence there, climb over the hill. And there was those ponds back there, and we would catch pollywogs or frogs. I remember doing that when I was a little kid. I loved catching frogs. I loved bringing frogs to school and putting them in little girls' desks. Did you ever do that? Am I the only deviant one in the room here? I, I did that. I, I should have brought a frog to school when I think I was in like third or fourth grade, and I put it in a little girl's desk, you know, the one with a blonde ponytail, you know, and uh, she didn't like that very much, but I got in trouble for that too, that frog. I don't know what happened to that frog to this day. I what did the teacher do with my frog? But anyway, here's this frog goddess, Hecate here, and the people are worshiping frogs so they can't kill them. And these frogs are everywhere, under the bed sheets, in the cooking utensils. Again, the Lord is mocking. You, you can't help but think that God is smiling as he's watching this go play out. He's mocking the God of Egypt by, by inundating with innumerable frogs. They cover the land. They're in everybody's house. And it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter if you're rich or poor. They're in your house. These frogs, they're, they're everywhere. Verse 4, my next point here, they cover Egypt. Notice, and the frogs shall come upon you, on your people, on your servants. And the Lord spoke to Moses, so this is how I want it to go down. Moses, tell Aaron to stretch out his hand and his rod. So he does something different. Now we've seen the rod. Now we're seeing a hand. He's bringing a hand up. There's, there's some significance to the, the hand with the rod, and he does it over a stream. So as he's walking through the land, he's holding his hand, and frogs are just blowing right out of the water, out of the freshwater pools and out of the stagnant pools and out of the rivers. All these frogs are coming out. They come out over the land of Egypt. Verse 6, and Aaron stretched out his hand over the waters of Egypt, and the frogs came up and covered the land of Egypt. So the, these frogs are affecting every caste of society. Again, notice the three categories on Pharaoh, on your court, on your people. That includes all the higher-ups. I think that's significant. Moses is recording this story for us, so we'll learn. But, but no one was left unaffected 
by these frogs, this plague of frogs, everybody in society, including Pharaoh and his palace and all his servants and all his helpers, and in his palace, it's frogs everywhere. So the hand that was outstretched, this is really interesting, it, that includes all the land. So we've seen the, the staff and the blood, the river turn to blood. Now it's the hand and the, the staff go out. And that's going to affect everything. That's why the, all the land now, it's all the land, not just right there in the river, and then it goes to the rest of the country through the river. But this is all the land. So the hand just represents that God is spreading this throughout the whole land. The word cover there, if you look in verses 5 and 6, he stretches out his hand and all the land is co it's covered. The word covered there, interesting word that means overwhelm. The, the, these frogs are overwhelming. It's not just, oh, I think I can walk through this path and step over the frogs. They were overwhelmed. You couldn't go anywhere without a frog being in your path. It, it's, they're inundated. They're overwhelmed with frog. Now, the reason I say that is because when we get to chapter 10, we're going to get to this plague of locusts. And the locusts are going to overwhelm. They're going to cover the land. We see the same word used there. And then we get to chapter 14 and 15, when the children of Israel are escaping through the Red Sea. And they look back and they see the Pharaoh's armor. Guess what happens? The same word. The Pharaoh's armor is gonna, army is going to be overwhelmed. This word, kasha, in the, in the very interesting word, by the way. We see it over and over. God is, is overwhelming them with these plagues, and he's going to overwhelm. In other words, you want to know who I am? I will show you who I am. He's overwhelming Pharaoh. He's overwhelming his army. He's overwhelming the people with these plagues. And then God, later on, this is another interesting use for this word. When we get to chapter 16, and the people are hungry, and God sends them quail, and they're overwhelmed again. God overwhelms his own people with food. It's, it's beautiful. It's really beautiful. So God has a, a, a great use for this word in the Hebrew. Again, this is a Hebrew. Moses, he is the one that's is trying to uh, write a history of all the things that are happening in this foreign land. He's writing using these Hebrew descriptive words. In verse 7, though, and we've already mentioned it, but the magicians of Egypt, they spring into action like they always do when a plague happens. Okay, we can do that. And they, remember, they, they repeated the, they duplicated the miracle of the, the staff turned into a crocodile. Remember, not a snake, but a crocodile. And theirs turned into a crocodile. And then, then Aaron's staff just gobbled them up. Now there was uh, the Nile turned into red, and they turned things into red, just like uh, Aaron's staff. And now it's Aaron's staff frogs, and then they go, oh, we can do that, and they make more frogs. I mean, I bet they were the most popular people in Egypt. Can you imagine? I mean, think about that. What a bunch of doinks there. They, they, they're, the, the thing that they're doing, though, they're imitating. I don't know what they're doing. I don't know how they're doing it other than I believe they're demonic. They have this power. They have this ability given to them. It's a demonic power. But all they do is increase the misery of the people. Again, I think Pharaoh is like, okay, Simon the sorcerer, enough, enough. You know, I, I, I've had enough of all this stuff. Why don't you, why don't you get lost, you guys? You know, the second time you've really blown it here. 
when I look at this story, and I hope that you do, I hope when you read the Bible, you really get into it and you laugh. I, I think this story is, is funny, and I'm wondering if God isn't in a way, okay, frogs. You guys worship this frog. You don't even know the living God, the maker of the heavens, and you're worshiping. Okay, you want frogs? I'll give you frogs. I mean, I, I just, I see that, and I think it's okay as you read the Bible to laugh and, and see what God is doing. He's mocking this God, Hecate, here in this story. They want to know who God is? I'll show you who I am. And God smites plagues, strikes. He smites the mightiest nation on the planet at this time. The sovereign God of the universe is just laid waste. And he's going to keep doing it, by the way. So God does this. The, God can do anything. He can accomplish anything. He's exercising his sovereignty and his will for his purpose. And he uses, think about this, he's using these, I don't know how, maybe they were little frogs. I used to catch little frogs. But all uh, in our mountains here, we have bigger frogs. We have bullfrogs. We don't know the size of the frogs, but he uses this compared to a human, this little animal, this little harmless. I mean, some of you run from a frog because it looks gooey and it's slimy, right? You don't like frogs. But most of us go, frogs are, you know, you go pick up a frog. Most kids pick them up, put them in their pocket. There's a frog leg hanging out. <laughs> they're not afraid of, of frogs. Frogs aren't like snakes or they're not like bears or lions. They're frogs. You know, they have this big old frog mouth and they, they eat bugs and so... They're not that threatening, so God, but God is using this small, weak frog to do what? To kasha, to overwhelm the people there and mighty Pharaoh. He's there all overwhelmed. He's humbling Egypt with frogs. Here's a verse of scripture that I think you should, I'm going to interject it here. It's long, but you'll understand when I start reading it. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty and the base things of the world and the things that which are despised God has chosen and the things which are not to bring to nothing the things that are. And here's why. That no flesh should glory in his presence. God can use anything, even frogs. He uses the weak. He can do anything. If God can do this to humble a Pharaoh, he can do anything in my life. He can do anything in your life. And oftentimes we see ourselves as weak and frail. I'm only whatever. I'm only this age. I'm only this short. I'm only this um, person. God uses anyone that wants to be used for his glory, for his purpose. God proves in this story that he's sovereign, that he's more powerful. And how does he do it? Not with his finger. He could have went flick and Pharaoh would have been dust. He uses frogs. That's the point. He's just using these ordinary frogs. And although he used a lot of them, <laughs> they're everywhere. They're in the food. They're in the Cheerio box. They're, in the, they're everywhere. They're in the oven, it says. They're, they're everywhere. Again, in my sanctified imagination, I see Mrs. Pharaoh. Would you get rid of these frogs? Why don't you do what he says and get these frogs are driving me crazy? Okay, I'll go back and talk to Moses. Because that's what he does. Look at verse 9 here, or verse 8. 
and I've entitled this, Let's Make a Deal. The Pharaoh called for Moses and Aaron and said, notice what he says, entreat the Lord that he may take away the frogs from me. First, he's always thinking about himself, right? This is Pharaoh. And from my people. And if you do that for me, if you, if you ask your God and if he does it, here's the deal. I will let the people go that they can sacrifice to the Lord. Okay, this is the first time in this succession, this gradual succession of more and more plagues against Pharaoh and against the people. First time that, that he's willing to even budge here. And he acknowledges the Lord because the plague is overwhelming. It's overwhelming. It's, it's everywhere. And even Mrs. Pharaoh, is, his kids, it's just overwhelming. And he can't stand it anymore. And so he's, he's going to make a deal here. And he promises. Notice his little promise. He's not going to keep it, but he makes a promise. Verse 9, And Moses said to Pharaoh, Accept the honor of saying, When I shall intercede for you, for your servants and for your people, to destroy the frogs from you and your houses, that they may remain in the river only. Okay, I'll do this, but they're just going to go back to the river. I'll, I'll make sure that they, they you know, I'm not going to tell you how God's going to do it. I'm just going to say, we'll do it. Somehow God's going to do it, and then we'll, they'll recede back to the river. So he said, tomorrow, verse 10, and he said, let it be according to your word, that you may know that there is no one like Yahweh, our God, and the frogs shall depart from you, from your houses, from your servants, from your people. They shall remain in the river only. Then Moses, verse 12, and Aaron, they went out from Pharaoh. And Moses cried out to the Lord concerning the frogs which he had brought against Pharaoh. So the Lord did according to the word of Moses. Remember, Moses is the prophet to the people. But Moses was made God to Pharaoh, remember? I'm going to make you like God, and you're going to have your prophet Aaron. And so Moses is speaking, and whatever he speaks is going to happen. God is obviously leading him. So Moses speaks to Pharaoh, and this deal is struck. And, and, and again, Pharaoh has no intention of keeping his side of this bargain. But God is faithful. Moses is faithful here. The key to this whole plague is that God is in control when it starts and when it ends, because it ends when Moses prays in verse 12 there. And God answers, and all the frogs died. And here's the relief here. The plague is relieved. My next point, verse 13. And the frogs died out of the houses. Notice they died. They didn't leave. They died out of the houses, out of the courtyards, out of the fields. And the people gathered these dead frogs in heaps, and the land stank. I love that. But when Pharaoh saw that there was relief, he didn't do what he said he was going to do. He didn't keep his promise. He hardened his heart and did not heed them as the Lord had said. So as soon as Pharaoh sees that there's relief, the frogs died and, and his servants are starting to push frogs out of the kitchen and, and empty the frogs out of the cereal boxes or whatever and get them out, it's like, okay, forget it. Forget it. I'm going back on my word. He, his heart is hard, just as the Lord predicted. Remember, that was predicted. It's always been that God said, Moses, it's not going to happen once. It's gonna, he's going to harden his heart over and over and over again. Now, God hardened Pharaoh's heart at first. Remember, we talked about the hardened heart of Pharaoh. 
And a lot of people have questions about that. Why would God harden his heart? Why, why couldn't he have a chance to repent? Remember, the hardening of the heart is very specific. Pharaoh had already decided not to let the people go. All God did was confirm that. You don't want to let the people go? Okay, boom, he made his heart harder. But then notice here, notice this verse tells us that Pharaoh, the end of verse 15, he, not God, not capital H-E, not Yahweh, not the Lord, but Pharaoh hardened his heart and did not obey. He didn't do what he pledged he would do. So God confirms that Pharaoh was not going to give the people this free pass to leave Egypt by hardening his heart the first time. But now it's just being confirmed because now Pharaoh is just getting more mad. He's not going to do it. He's, I'm in charge. I, I don't care how many frogs. I'm not going to let these people go. They're my people. That's, that's really what's happening here. So after the second plague, he hardened his heart and did not heed them as the Lord had said. The Lord told Moses, it's going to take it's a process. He's going to reject you over and over. He's going to harden his heart. Just you keep going back. You just keep being faithful. We, we heard that back, I think, in chapter 4. So one of the things that we see in these plagues is that they're meted out gradually, and I think it's important to make note of that. Each one of these plagues, they're severe, but they're, they're gradual. In other words, they come and they go, and there's an opportunity for mercy. There's an opportunity for repentance because God is a merciful God. The same God that saved you wretched sinners sitting with me and myself tonight, he's the same God here that he is in Christ, the same God. He's merciful. He's long-suffering. He doesn't just throw the, you know, lightning bolt and dust people at the flick of a, a hat or a, uh, just a whim. But God allows us to fall down and get up and fall down and ask for forgiveness. 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he's faithful. He's just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Forgiveness and mercy is the heart of God. But we're going to see this gradual with, with time in between. The plague comes, the plague goes. There's time for people to reflect and think, well, I should repent. What's going on? Another plague comes, and they gradually get worse and worse until we get to the 10th one, which it's not like any of the others. It's death. It's, it's radically different. But we have the Nile, the frogs, the insect, the boils, the locusts, it's all this stuff. Gradually, God is meeting out his wrath and he's allowing people to repent. Really important to recognize that. Every judgment is temporary here. And with everyone comes a warning. God is warning. Well, a couple of them don't come with a verbal warning from Moses. This next one is just going to happen. But, but still, people are warned and then they have this ability to repent. But their hearts are hard. They're defiant. That's Pharaoh's heart. And one of the commentators I read, he says, you know, the, even though the the uh, plague was taken away, and there's this time. The consequence of the sin, the, repent, the unrepentant heart, remains. The scar, the hurt, the, the residual, it, it remains. The land, in this case, with all these piles of dead frogs. You've you got to put yourself there. I mean, we have mounds of dead frogs on every street 
Out of every house, there's mounds of dead frogs. And it stank, that's what the Bible says. I mean, think about that. It must have really been bad. I mean, can you imagine all this deadness everywhere? It was, it was horrible. So now we have the next plague. It's, it's gnats. My next point here in verse 16, the infestation. And that's the way you need to think about it. Notice verse 16. So the Lord said to Moses, say to Aaron, stretch out your rod, strike the dust of the land so that it may become lice. I'm reading from New King James. Uh, if you have an NIV or something else, it might have a different uh, insect there. It might even say insect. But lice is what my Bible says. I'll explain that in a moment in the land of Egypt. Verse 17, and, and they did so. Aaron stretched out his hand. With his rod, he struck the dust. So this is his pose. He's got, a, he's got the rod in one hand. He's got his hand stretched out. And then he strikes the ground and the dust. So from the dust, there's dust. You know, if you've seen dust, I mean, really serious mountain dust. If you're up in the mountains, we have dust. You crunch in that and you just, you know, like, like, you know, just this. So from this dust come this lice, these little insects. Um, you can think of them as possibly being ticks. You, I mean, the, the ground is moving now with lice or ticks or whatever it may be, these insects, they're all over the place. And notice at the end of verse 17, it became lice or insects on man and on beast. All the dust of the land became lice throughout the land of Egypt. So when you look at dust on the ground, it's moving now. It's moving. Everything on the ground is moving. It's not just a few lice buzzing in the air. It's, it's not like a mosquito, you know. This is lice. These are inside. The dust, the ground is moving now with all of these creatures, these insects. And very interesting. Some believe it was mosquitoes. Any mosquito lovers out there? I mean, who likes mosquitoes? I hate mosquitoes. I, I, I hate, actually hate mosquitoes. I mean, what good is a mosquito? These blood-sucking you know, insects that they stick you and it itches for days. Can you imagine the grounds moving with mosquitoes? They're everywhere. They're on the animals, too. The animals are going nuts. People are going crazy. In fact, I read a story today about in the Amazon where there's really bad mosquitoes. It drives the animals nuts. It, it literally drives them. They run around and run into trees and drives people crazy. They get in every... Orifice in, in your mouth, up your nose, in your ears, these mosquitoes, they just drive people crazy. That's what's going on here. This infestation of gnats, lice, insects, bugs, whatever, whatever they were, we don't know exactly what they were, but the, these gnats plagued both men and animals. Again, as you read this, I just have this picture in my mind. I see these people just, you know, and you hear bzz, 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 it's everywhere. It's just wherever they walk, dust, the, these creatures, they're everywhere. And their people are just trying to get relief. They can't get relief because the land. And, and then he, I love what it says there at the end of verse 17. All the dust of the land became lice. And this is really interesting because if you remember back in the book of Genesis, again, Abraham, I'm going to give you so many offspring that look up in the stars of the heaven. Can you count those? Abraham's like, 
your family's going to be that innumerable. Abraham, look at the dust on the ground. He actually used that. Your family's going to be like the dust on the ground, the sand on the seashore. Remember that? It's the same Hebrew phrase here. Again, the dust of the land. In this case, became lice. And all it means is it's innumerable. It's not a few mosquitoes. These are mosquitoes that drive people crazy, the dust of the land. And then it's probably a good thing, but notice here in verse 18, the magicians so worked with their enchantments to bring forth lice, but they couldn't do it. I mean, that's probably a good thing, right? They couldn't add to it. So there were lice on men and beast. Then the magicians, verse 19, and this is where the second part of my title comes in tonight. Notice this. This is fascinating. The magicians said to Pharaoh with their mouths open, this is the finger of God. In other words, we can't do this. This is too overwhelming. This is way beyond our scope. There is no one else that could do this but God. That's really what they're saying there. I love that truth. This is the finger of God. But notice at the end of verse 19, Pharaoh's heart grew hard, and he didn't listen to them. He didn't listen to the magicians. He didn't listen to the musicians. He didn't listen to anyone because he sees himself as God. That's the problem, and his heart is hard. God has got to show him, and God has got to work in his life to show him. And so this is the finger of God, the magicians say. It's, it's a supernatural event. This is beyond human control, beyond anything we could ever do. Now, I, I want to point out again, and I mentioned it at the beginning of the study, that there are liberal theologians. I like to read a lot of different theologians over many years when I do my studies. I read tons of different uh, commentary. I read different things just to prepare and get my mind kind of set and want to see what's out there. But the liberal theologians have always used natural phenomena for all of these events. The main problem that I see is that they start when Moses says, they end when Moses says. That's a problem. for. So I don't think of their natural at all. Their, their frogs were real, and the Nile River's real, but the blood and the dead fish Mounds of frogs in everybody's bed. I mean, and now we have this, the lice, the mites, the whatever you want to call them, the ticks, the mosquitoes, they're everywhere. Again, the plagues are all supernatural. They're miraculous. They're, they're not naturalistic. And after the frogs died, again, they stink. Now, the, the, the liberal theologian says, well, it was just, you know, a flood, the Nile rose, the frogs came out, the fish died because of all the sediment in the water. Um, I'm trying to th- recall some of the things that I read. And all of these things happened. And then when the frogs died, you get flies, right? And that's how they say it. They, they try to explain away the miraculous here. But even the Egyptian, if that's true, I mean, these Egyptian magicians, they saw it. They were there. They couldn't duplicate the miracle. So they don't even use that excuse that it's natural. 
It was very unnatural. And they even mentioned that it was the finger of God. Even the secular magicians recognized this is not ordinary. This is not natural. This is the finger of God. Now, here's a little side note real quick. When you read the Bible and you interpret the Bible, it's the study of hermeneutics. Hermeneutics has principles that help guide you. I, I believe in a literal interpretation of the Bible, and I believe that it's important that when you read the Bible, one of the principles that I learned a long time ago is when the Bible, when you're reading the Bible and the Bible itself makes plain sense, then don't try to take it out of context and give it some other sense. Just read the Bible when it makes common sense. Don't seek other sense. Don't seek any other sense. Don't try to read into it. And if you do that, you'll really gain a lot of instruction from the Bible. The Bible is just a regular book that God's given to man. This is who God is. This is what he's done. And I believe you can take the scriptures literally. And those that don't, they're the ones that add all these other things and, and they get off into these other paths. And, and it's much easier to stay in the plain understanding, the normal uh, interpretation of the scriptures. Now, in verse 20, that was just my little side note for you guys that study. We have the fourth plague, and it's flies. Very interesting, flies. So the, this plague with the insects, the, the, that's why mites, ticks, stuff on the ground, maybe mosquitoes. But now we have flies. Verse 20, and the Lord said to Moses, rise early in the morning and stand before Pharaoh. Now, the third plague, Pharaoh never knew what hit him. Moses didn't go and say, Pharaoh, you're going to get this... Uh, Gnats, they're coming at you. All the ground's going to start moving. It's gonna... No, God just says, just do it, Aaron, just do it. This time, Moses is going to get a warning. So we're back into that. Remember I gave you the cycle? There's cycles. There's three cycles of three. The first two, he gets a warning. The last one, he doesn't get warned. So we're in the second cycle of three here with the plague of flies. Rise early in the morning and stand before Pharaoh as he comes out to the water. Again, historians will tell you that none of the pharaohs would get in that dirty Nile. They just would not do that. They were way too up and refined to, to go into the water to bathe. That, so he's not going there to bathe, but what he is going there is to worship, and he's begging his God. Orisus and Hecate, the fraud queen gal, he's begging them to help him, but they can't come help him. They're idols. So that's what he's doing there at the the river, verse 20, then say to him, so when you see him out there worshiping, I want you to go meet him out there by the river. Say, Thus says the Lord, let my people go that they may serve me. There's that comment again. You'll hear it again and again from the Lord. Or else if, I, if you will not let my people go, behold, I will send, here it is, swarms of flies on you and your servants and on your people and in your houses. The houses of the Egyptians shall be full of swarms of flies, and also the ground on which they stand. And in that day, verse 22, I will set apart the land of Goshen, in which my people dwell. Remember when Jacob's family, Israel's family settled, they were in the Goshen. And what were they? What was their occupation? Remember what? They were, they were herders. That's what they did. They had cattle and, and goats, herders. And so they're down in Goshen. But this is interesting. The flies are going to affect 
the Egyptians in there, but there's going to be a wall there. There's a wall there in Goshen. There's no flies on that side of the, all the flies are in Egypt. There's no flies there in Goshen. Very interesting here. Um, uh, let's see, this is Goshen, my people dwell, that no swarms of flies shall be there in order that you may know that I am the Lord in the midst of the land. These are my people. I'm going to protect them this time. So Pharaoh, you can go and check this out yourself. You can walk down there and you can see Goshen, no flies. Egypt, lots of flies, swarms of flies. No flies. Flies. Very interesting. Again, and the Lord did so, verse 24, the thick swarms of flies came into the house of Pharaoh, into his servants' houses, and into the land of Egypt. The land was corrupted because of the swarm of flies. Now, again, we don't know the exact species of flies, but I'm thinking that they're bigger than the gnats, they're bigger than the mites. Maybe these are the mosquitoes and the flies, but swarms of them, a wall of flies. They're just everywhere. They're in the house. They're outside. You can't escape them. That's the point. So what do we find now in verse 25? Pharaoh wants to make another deal. Here it is. Let's make another deal. Pharaoh called for Moses and Aaron and said, go sacrifice to your God in the land. And Moses said, it is not right to do so, for we would be sacrificing the abomination of the Egyptians to the Lord our God. If we sacrifice the abomination of the Egyptians before their eyes, then, they will, not, then will they not stone us? We will go three days. That's why God wanted them out of the land. He wants them out of Egypt before they even worship him. And Moses knows that. We will go three days' journey into the wilderness and sacrifice to the Lord our God as he will command us. Now, there's three offers here, real quick, three offers Pharaoh makes with Moses. Number one, I'll give you guys time off to go worship, but you got to come back. you got to stay in the land. That was the offer number one, and Moses refuses. Number two, his second offer there in verse 28, Moses said, I'll let you go that you may sacrifice to the Lord your God in the wilderness, only you can't go very far. That was the next offer. And again, can't do it. We're in your land. Won't work. Moses said, can't do that. Not, it's not a deal. And then finally, notice Pharaoh asks Moses at the end of verse 28, intercede for me then. <laughs> I, I, I don't have any more deals. Intercede for me, proving again. Pharaoh is finally understanding that these plagues are supernatural. His magicians can't replicate them. He knows that I need some help outside of myself. This is very good. He's learning. He's going to get there, but it's, he's, his heart's still very, very hard. So he says, Moses, intercede. Then Moses, verse 29, said, Indeed, I am going out from you, and I will entreat the Lord that swarms of flies may depart tomorrow from Pharaoh, from his servants, from his people. But let Pharaoh not deal deceitfully anymore. Don't pull a fast one on me. You better be a man of your word and not letting the people go to sacrifice the Lord. So Moses went out from Pharaoh, and he entreated the Lord. And the Lord did according to the word of Moses. He removed the swarms of flies from Pharaoh, from his servants, from his people. Not one remained. But Pharaoh hardened his heart. Not God, 
This is Pharaoh. Pharaoh hardened his heart at this, this time also. Neither would he let the people go. Goes back on his word again. He's going to make a deal. He's not a man of his word. He's, he's a lying, deceitful, proud, arrogant, idol-worshiping, I am God man. That's Pharaoh here. He hardened his heart in spite of all God's kind, kindness and in spite of God stopping no flies. Remember, not, there, it's not one fly. There's no flies anymore. People have total relief. And instead of seeing God's hand and acknowledging and repenting, he sees God's hand, but he is not going to relent. He is not going to turn away. He's, his heart is, gets even harder. He, that shows you how stubborn he is. So here's just one lesson in closing here. God will give us opportunities, just like in this story with Pharaoh. We make mistakes, and God gives us an opportunity to repent. I don't know what that means to you. Maybe you're doing something right now that you need to repent of. But listen, the Lord is merciful, and you better change. You better repent before your heart gets hard. Pharaoh's having a hard time repenting because his heart is so hard. Christian, you don't want to be that way. You want it when something happens. You need to recognize it and you need to confess it. 1 John 1, 9. And he'll cleanse you. He'll forgive you. If you don't do that, it's like someone said, a man doesn't start by gambling away his paycheck. He starts by just friendly betting, watching poker on TV and then gets hooked into it, and then it gets worse and more consuming, and the heart gets harder and harder. Christian, are you listening? A man doesn't start with shameful perversion. starts with a few magazines, a couple of videos, and his heart grows hard. A woman doesn't start addicted to alcohol. It starts with some social drinking, just a little quick champagne on New Year's Eve. It's okay. And pretty soon, the heart gets hard, and they're out of control. Do you understand? I really believe there's a lesson there for each and every one of us. Don't let your heart get hard. And hear the voice of the Lord, and whatever, whatever vice, whatever sin you're involved in, don't let your heart get hard. Turn to God. Repent. Father, I thank you for the word tonight. I pray that uh, even this application would speak to the hearts of your people as it's spoken to me. These stories, Lord, are, happened so long ago. Sometimes it's difficult for us to, to make application for today, but I, I truly believe we can all learn. Oh, how sovereign you are, Lord, in all of these plagues. How complete they are, and yet your mercy time for repentance in every, each and every one. Father, I pray. I pray for people, even tonight, that you would, that we would recognize your mercy, that we would come to you and, and confess our sin. And we do thank you for your grace and for your mercy. We do give you thanks. We give you praise for your goodness to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Let's all stand together and we'll close our service worship.